This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by BitPay. Stick around for more info about them later in the episode. Hey guys, I'm Charlie Shrimp, and you're listening to Untold Stories. Today on the show, I had Jonathan Levine, the Chief Strategy Officer of Chain Analysis. It's a very hot topic, very hot industry, because a lot of people even go and call these chain analysis type companies, you know, that that work with governments and law enforcement, traitors to our industry. I very much disagree. Because these are the companies that are on the front lines of talking to the governments. You want them to be Bitcoin OGs. You want them to love our industry. You don't want these to be negative people. The person I spoke to today, Jonathan, is brilliant and completely understands, got his start in the industry, getting free tickets to conferences by for live tweeting them. Now, don't forget, I am personally a victim of one of these companies using data that was incorrect to go to a court and to try to freeze my assets. And they were almost successful and I didn't have any due process. You would think that makes me jaded and angry, but it doesn't. And it was a wonderful, wonderful episode that you guys are going to love. Well, Jonathan Levine, thanks for coming to Untold Stories today. Thanks, Charlie. How are you? Good. It's it's so funny because like every show kind of starts off the same. Like I'll do a little bit of small talk in the beginning, and then I'll be like, "Nice to meet you." And then the guest will say, "We've met before," and I'll say, "Tell me when." And then I'll go to my computer, and it's like eight years ago or whatever. Um, it's you're the CEO of Chain Analysis, and you were the CEO of, of CoinMetrics. You've been in the space a long time, um, but you were you said you were like a broke student back then in 2013 when you were at this conference that that I spoke yeah, so, at in so, London. Yeah, so so I'm one of the co-founders of Chain Analysis. I'm the chief. Tra- the chief strategy officer. And uh, my journey into crypto started when I was in college um, in Oxford in the UK. And I was studying economics and I was really sort of interested in being one of the first economists to take a serious look at cryptocurrencies. Uh, In 2012, 2013, there really wasn't a lot of interest in it. And so I was trying to, from an academic standpoint, learn about the industry and try and get into these conferences. And in order to get into um, sort of my first conference, I wrote to Pamir Gilenby, who was oh, organizing yeah. one of the first uh, Bitcoin conferences in London in 2013. And it was really sort of at this moment where Bitcoin had, there was a 2012 conference in London, but this was like, you know, trying to get the banks and the financial institutions interested. So he put it in Canary Wharf and put it in level 39. And it was like, amazing production, uh, but I couldn't afford a ticket. So I said to Pamir that I would live tweet the event and build up his social media profile and and build his brand. And so I love the hustle. Did that successfully. And then uh, he was like, well, now we're doing Coin Summit in in San Francisco. Uh, And by that point, I had co-founded Coinometrics, which was really about sort of understanding the health uh, of the of the Bitcoin ecosystem at the time and, you know, what metrics you need to measure to understand how, how prevalent, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies are. And then from there, sort of after Coinometrics realized that the first problem that really needed to be solved about understanding how and why people use cryptocurrencies was really the compliance and investigations use case, which sort of led to us founding Chainalysis and um, taking us to, to where we are today. I'm actually moderating a panel tomorrow uh, on like data and and uh, analytics in in crypto with with coin market cap. So I uh, hopefully some of the takeaways that you give me I could use in my in my moderation. Um, it's very interesting because uh, 
chain analysis the, as an industry, it gets like a bad rap from from the crypto industry. But it's one of those things that, um, and I, I want to say I'm really looking for. I want to take a step back. I'm really looking for. I was really looking forward to this episode, but I struggled with this episode a little bit, and I have to tell you why. I am a victim, unfortunately, of where the chain analysis industry can can go wrong. And while I understand this is a very important industry and I completely agree with it and you need it like you have one of your quotes in your um, press release from yesterday, you said chain analysis is doubling down on government business to propel and flywheel of growth of this industry. When law enforcement and regulators become comfortable with cryptocurrency, exchanges are able to grow and financial institutions can enter the ecosystem safely and responsibly. I completely agree with that. It is so important. And you're like almost a gatekeeper. And I'm happy that you're someone who really has been around the space and loves the industry. Um, but also, like I was getting, saying back, I, I grappled it because, you know, I'm a victim of someone, uh, not your company, of course. There's another company. I was party to a lawsuit. And there was another company um, in, your in, in your same space that essentially um, was paid by the uh, person who was suing me to create like a chain analysis to validate what they had already believed. So it was not an uh, independent thing. It was a validation of, of what they had already believed. And the, the problem was the validation was wrong. So all of a sudden, this document was used to freeze all of my assets immediately without any due process because they told the judge, Charlie's going to run away with our money that this company said Charlie has right now. So all of a sudden I wake up and every my bank account, nothing works. Now, again, it was false. Not only was it false, but the person who actually owned the address was so afraid that th that that this lawsuit was going to take his money because they had nothing to do with me. He actually went to the judge privately, like had his lawyer say, no, 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 this, these com this company was wrong. This is my money, not Charlie's. And that was like what really changed the case. No one really talks about how that actually went down. But I, dude, I went through just very traumatic issues from that. Imagine waking up and like, you can't do anything. You can't even defend yourself. I couldn't even pay my lawyers. So, yeah. what, and wait, I just want to finish it off. You guys are doing such a great job. And I'm happy this happened to me because um, what you're doing is so important. And I wanted to tell you this when we first started the show, like, just because I felt like I didn't want to, you know, something that has been bothering me for many years. Um, and, and I, and if there's any company or any person that could, could make that better, uh, it's you. So how can, how can we do that? So I think like, to your point, it's, it's really important that it's, it is due process and it is something that is well understood and comprehended. And it's not just a claim that someone, anyone can make against someone else that, results in sort of adverse yeah. consequences or anything like that. Like what we have found in sort of the origin of the business, if you think about sort of the early days when we were first getting started in 2014, no one thought it was even possible to trace Bitcoin. Yeah, like no people, one did. Pe people thought it was completely anonymous. And so when, when that claim comes through or when someone says that they can do something, you know, it's something that is irrefutable and there's no real like credible evidence there. And so what we, you know, Michael and I focused on it originally is really being there explaining, you know, how does the blockchain work? 
what is the limits to traceability what can you what can you be sure of and what can really stand up to scrutiny and we thought about this from a view of saying well you know evidence in court is our bar of like what what should we be able to claim and and show it should be able to be um something that you can that can stand up in a court of law and and when we started to do that we started to say you know we can we can build this data set that can give people insight about how and why people are using cryptocurrencies but in a way that you know is something that could be um a claim that you could actually put into a court of law and and refute it or or show yeah. you know exactly how it works and the thing that the that was the biggest um you know time that we spent was actually sort of educating people on you know, what is the art of the possible and to a large extent yeah you know, it's taken us 5 years or 6 years to build up like a whole training program a certification program something that like you know other people now can have that knowledge and and refute some of the claims that maybe you had um back in the day you should have like a training program for lawyers so they can yeah, learn oh that's awesome yeah, so what should, type of tra- tell they, me about that yeah so they could um they could come and do our Uh, we have a basic certification like a cryptocurrency fundamentals course um you can come and do that you can sign up online I require um, all my lawyers to take that course right now yeah send them <laughs> um so we have a we have that and then we have a crypt- cryptocurrency investigator certification as well where it takes two days and you can go through that and you essentially get to understand um you know the methods and and how you can actually build these investigations in cryptocurrencies Do you, do you um find it sometimes difficult um dealing with like various like bureaucratic bodies because just the way these institutions are built is they're not really flexible and organic like even thing like how do you invoice a government agency do you ever have an issue with with like a local county not paying you or something like that or a police department like do you sue them what do you do <laughs> um so we so we work in we i would say that It's funny you're sort of referring to the US but like we also yeah, work you do globally so like you well, know, what if you have in... a, a country that doesn't pay you or something you know Well yeah <laughs> I mean during covid we've definitely had some interesting uh some interesting paperwork challenges where something needs to be physically signed and delivered in person and we're like we're not coming to your country um <laughs> even if it's in Europe and uh, and stuff like that so we we've definitely We've definitely learned that and uh, our finance team has has got creative with uh, how they deal with government procurement processes but you know actually I would say that um you know the procurement side aside the government agencies now have a cadre of people that really do get the industry yeah. and you know there, there really is sort of um been this uh, evolution of you know people making their careers out of solving these big crypto cases um understanding how to build you know smart regulation around cryptocurrencies and the people that have really latched on to um this industry and understood it are people that like are doing really well in their careers and are being rewarded for it so five years down the line you know i've seen the agents and and analysts that we originally worked with you know now like really having you know, much bigger responsibilities in those agencies and yeah it's um, true be- Yeah, being looked at. Yeah, it's true. It's uh crypto became like the thing if you get a good crypto case. I think the uh the prosecuting attorney on my case actually puts his he well, after I went to jail, he went to uh 
he moved to the other side to the defense, you know, defense attorney side from working from the government on my case. Like it was a springboard. How do I know this? It's in his bio at his like defense, whatever law firm he works for now. It says like the successful takedown of Charlie Schaff. I'm like, what takedown? It's in my parents' basement. <laughs> but I think that, um, yeah, to your point, it's like, but it's funny. I have no, I have like, if I saw my judge in the street today, I would hug him. I have, I want to take him for coffee. Like I have nothing but respect for, for like the powers that be and the people. Um, I'm a, uh, so like you, you have to follow the laws at the end of the day. You know, if we want to operate in this, in this country, you know, we have to do it. And so, um, it's cool to meet some of these people later on sometimes like, um, and hear that they're like smiling and everything. Um, I think I had met the, the, the arresting agent, the guy actually arrested me. I met him like three years later, two years later, and we were like totally cool. And it was because no, he had given me a Pepsi when I was in jail that first night. <laughs> I think that, um, yeah, the, the, the thing to go the, into stories. The, the the thing for the whole like prosecution and litigation side of this is that um, you need to have um, prosecutors who understand the industry, who understand you know what is possible. The agents who are building the, the agents who are building these cases, you know, they've also had to go up like a real steep learning curve and um, you know set some good precedents and and understand what's possible. So I think that. Um, yeah, we've come a really long way and, and a lot of those personalities are, yeah, they're fantastic people and they're really, um, yeah, they're doing, they're doing great work. So let's, let's dive into some like data and analytics. Um, what type of cool data did you see? Oh, I wanted to tell you something interesting. You were talking about that, that, uh, the conference earlier in London. Um, I want, I want the listeners to kind of get understanding, like here you are, you're like live tweeting and I'm speaking and then you have like, who's who is at this event and. Um, it was in London and Cannery Wharf and it was beautiful. And the Bitcoin went into a bear market for another two and a half years after that. I'm not laughing because I was, I was, you know, sitting in jail for two years. So it, I, it doesn't matter to me, but like, uh, did, what was that like going through that bear market? Like, cause there was so much excitement and then all of a sudden like two years go by and it's just kind of like price flat, but everyone's building, 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 uh, are there any like data or metrics that we can look from those years and kind of look at now and see where we are now in the cycles of the bull and bear markets? Yeah, sure. So we we actually are um, well. We just released um, a a site on on our website that allows you to actually come in and and take a look at some of the you know core metrics. Oh, behind... let's do it right now. Well, you can't do it right now because you just <laughs> it's not released yet. It will be released by the time the podcast comes out. Okay, um, cool. So we'll we'll show you that. And 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 really the point behind this is that um you know the thing that the biggest frustration that I had at that conference, um, and I'm gonna put you in this bucket as well, yeah, is fine. you stood you stood on the front of the stage and you were like, Bitcoin's gonna change the world. It's like the most amazing technology, like you can't even imagine the implications of it, but you had no data, not a single slide in that conference put up the data on like how Bitcoin was being used in 2013. I know. You know what, what, what metrics people should be looking at to understand, you know, You're is right. this an investable asset? There was nothing. And so like I was sitting in the audience and that really gave me the impetus to start Coinometrics is that I said, you know, if this industry is going to be anything more than like these conferences, 
there needs to be some metrics about you know how and why people are using crypto, um, and that's why we started Coinometrics, and then um, that's why you know five years later at Chainalysis we're launching um, this site that allows you to actually come in and look at what are the core metrics driving some of these um, some of these cryptocurrencies, and and the core metrics for us are looking at you know. What is the, what is the liquidity behind Bitcoin? You know how much Bitcoin is moving. Um, what are the types of wallets that have you know received Bitcoin but not sent any Bitcoin? And we call that sort of something that's more illiquid. And we're looking at like on what exchanges, what is their what is the sort of trade intensity? How much Bitcoin do they have versus how much is being traded on their platforms? Um, and so we're, we're looking at some of those core metrics and, and flows so that people can understand, you know, how does this market actually function? But how do you differentiate data? So like, can we go into a little bit of like a, uh, like, uh, we'll go in, we'll go into the rabbit hole a little bit and we'll talk about like what a Bitcoin transaction is. And I, I really want to know, like, how do you explain this sometimes to regulators? Because like, there's no such thing as an actual Bitcoin. And let's just, for the sake of like the conversation, let's just call all crypto Bitcoin for now. Like, cause let's yeah. just assume they all operate the same. So, you know, cause if someone comes to you with like an Ethereum transaction or whatever, um, well, with, well, actually it's a little bit different cause Bitcoin, there's just, you know, unspent inputs, uh, and then unspent outputs. And so you have the, all a Bitcoin is, is essentially all these unspent outputs that amass to a certain amount that you can then spend. So there's no such thing as a Bitcoin. There's just, millions of these of these unspent outputs essentially uh and then they kind yeah. of all go together so there's no like there's no there's no you can't taint a, a, a bitcoin you can't really taint a, a, an unspent output so how do you kind of how do you explain that like how do you explain to someone what a bitcoin is in in that sense of it so so the way that we think about this is is really we abstract even further than that it's like oh, wow. where are bitcoin being held because you can hold an unspent output, right? You can, Charlie controls um, unspent, uh, unspent outputs, which means you control some Bitcoin. And so what we, what we look at is, particularly in our metrics, is you know, either you know, how many Bitcoin are currently held by exchanges. You know, that's an interesting metric when you think about like, the economy. You're thinking about how, many, um, how much of this economy is you know, people holding Bitcoin at trading venues versus how many Bitcoin are, you know, in transit between places. And so you could have a Bitcoin that you take off an exchange and you're going to move it onto another exchange. And we would call that something that's in transit. Okay, um, and so we, we, we think about this as, as sort of the flow of funds between entities that people can understand. So we like to sort of say you know, most Bitcoin are being used in some sort of service, you know, people are using apps to do things with crypto. They're trading it. They're sending it to friends. They're, you know, you know, sending it to a gambling site. Or there's cyber criminals who are using it for services or ransomware. And so we say, you know, what Chainalysis does is it maps, you know, cryptocurrency transactions into those real-world entities and shows you know, how do these different entities use. Uh, Bitcoin and some of them are holding Bitcoin and some of them are really sending it around really quickly. So we don't need to get so deep into the weeds of like, you know, unspent outputs or like exactly like 
how um, a Bitcoin transaction works. The time that we get into that is to show you how we come to our conclusions about what does it mean to identify like an exchange's wallet? Like what does that what does that mean? But but most people most people don't really need to get into yeah. all of the detail of how that works. Okay, come on. This is so cool. This is the new BitPay card that I have in my hand, and I'm so excited to be finally having the new one that just came out. Now, guys, I've been using the BitPay card since 2016. Yeah, you heard that right. Way before I started Untold Stories, way before BitPay became a sponsor of mine, I've been using this card, and it literally became a way for me to have a bank account uh, for many, many years, as, as a lot of people in crypto need banking, need better banking. The BitPay card is chock full of the coolest features. It's got contactless pay, uh, better rates and limits, no fees to convert from Bitcoin right onto the card, added in chip security. I mean, it's sexy. It looks good, unlike other cards. It's so easy to get. Just download the BitPay app on your phone, click the card icon, and you can do it right there. If you use the promo code CHARLIEJUNE20, your card is free. Remember, CHARLIEJUNE20. 20. It's in the show notes. You can get a free card. So literally, just from listening to my show today, and make sure you actually listen, you can get a free card just by entering that code. So download the BitPay app, get the coolest card on the market, the best card on the market. I've been using it for over four years now. I know there are so many cards out there, but the BitPay brand is the oldest and longest running Bitcoin company in the world. I mean, that's who issues this card. This is the card you want to have. Remember, Charlie, June 20, download the BitPay app on iOS or Android to sign up for the new card. You're going to freaking love it. It's so interesting how I feel like a lot of times your role is, um, you know, like education, right? At the same time, like teaching and explaining. Yeah. Um, you know, as the as the chief strategy officer, um, that's what CSO stands for, right? Chief strategy officer. It yeah. does, right? Um, luckily not the, luckily not the chief security officer. No, no, that's not a fun job. And congratulations. You guys just launched, um, you guys just announced your series B, you added $13 million to it. Congratulations. I'm in a, I'm in Thanks. a chat room and it's funny cause someone just posted the link and then I'm in a chat room with Michael. I didn't even know. And someone said, congrats, Michael. And then I just responded and I said, Hey, I'm actually recording with Jonathan right now. Um, <laughs> that's pretty funny. So is there a, is there a common denominator in terms of like, let's talk about like, let's break it down. So you have like different types of clients. You can have private clients like me, um, you know, that maybe like lost money or a party to a lawsuit or whatever uh, you have. Then you have like the government bucket, the government bucket do, does it, what they're looking for. Is there like a common denominator, the types of investigations are they like, I guess you can't give specifics obviously, but do you notice like common themes? Like, are they looking for like, you know, drugs a lot, like child pornography? Are they focusing on like important things like that? Yeah, sure. So I think that um, what you're seeing in the government space is probably like a few different trends. Um, I would say government agencies around the world are trying to tackle cybercrime okay. writ large. Like think about like people getting scammed out of money, people getting extorted, people getting um, you know, vulnerable people in society getting scammed by cyber criminals. Like think back to like the original sort of yeah. phishing emails that you received and, and all stuff like that. Like all, all that stuff. Did you know really like, yeah. Uh, no, I'm, you, you finish. I'm going to write down what I'm going to say. Cause I don't want you to, I don't want to lose my train, your train of thought. 
Yeah, so I think that cybercrime as a as a theme is sort of one of the biggest priorities when it when it comes to you know um, national government priorities, and and they really sort of cracking down on financially motivated cybercrime, but then also sort of cybercrime has gone into like a national security domain, and so yeah, I guess. a lot of the agencies who are who are looking at like cybersecurity, election security, like those types of issues are really focused on you know how do how does cryptocurrency fit into that and cryptocurrency really fits into that because it's you know, a real time global payment system that is linked with yeah you know, it's it's one of the only places where they can really understand the financial flows without any barriers which provides them like a major advantage in in understanding it um, and then you know it's also being used to pay for infrastructure and things that that leverage these attacks on on vulnerable people and and issues of national security. What do um, they so think about stablecoins on those big issues? What do they think about stablecoins? So stablecoins are definitely more of a regulatory issue at this point. So, you know, they haven't taken off to the same extent as something like Bitcoin that's used in um, crimes that, that we're sort of talking about, mm. drugs, child pornography, and stuff like that. A lot of MLM um, schemes too, stuff like that. Yeah. A lot, a like, lot so like of 10% that of happened. a, I yeah. heard like 10% of Ethereum transactions are MLM. I mean, uh, there's a lot of this data out there that a lot of the Ethereum transactions and Bitcoin even so are still dealing with a lot of this, you know, underground negative stuff. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, in Bitcoin, we have a stat that, is going to be live on the website. You can have a look at it, um, where you can actually go and see sort of of the of the Bitcoin transactions on a weekly basis. You know how much of that is linked to known illicit activity, oh, illicit cool. activity that we are actually proactively um, looking at. And like plus so token. If you think so about, like if it's linked to like a yeah, plus token type plus, thing. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So. Oh, us, that's so cool. Yeah, Roughly two million Bitcoin are moving on a weekly basis, right? Um, between exchanges, largely between exchanges, or or for you know good activity, you know, roughly at the moment, like 0.3, percent um, of that that weekly flow is actually you know linked with known illicit activity, and you can wow. you can go check that number on our website. Wow, that's so cool. Like, cool that you can get the data, not cool that that's happening. Um, I should rephrase that. But that's important data like that actually has to come out. What I was excited to tell you before, I have a story for you. So I'm going to tell you an untold story, and then you're going to tell me one. But um, okay. So the first ever realization that I was being used as part of like a scam was back at the Ben Instant days. We, so I was dealing with like customer service a lot. Which actually ended up being my downfall. But um, we get, we're getting emails from people like, hey, I used your service and I never got my reptile. I'm like, what? Then you get another email like a week later. Hey, I used your service and I never got my parrot. What? A week later. Hey, I used your service. Where's my very rare breed, you know, like German Shepherd dog delivered to... Canada or whatever. And then, you know, where's my very expensive alligator that I'm supposed to, and I'm like, what in God, what is go what are these emails are we getting? So we did some investigation and someone was using Bitcoin to set up a fake, we called it the pet scam. And he set up like a fake website or she and was selling like exotic pets 
and then was telling people to buy Bitcoin and then was like recommending BitInstant as the place to buy Bitcoin for their for the scam, for the pet scam. And then people were coming to us because at the end of the day, they gave us their money uh, and we were just a processor. We were just a payment processor. So it was kind of funny uh, how that all went down. That's my story, the pet scam. I think that, um, yeah, it's funny how like you need those little breadcrumbs the the breadcrumbs to to figure out like what what was happening and i guess um had you seen the tiger king uh documentary yeah, I mean, this was like 10 years ago. <laughs> you may have figured it out faster um can i ask you an honest question are we are we right i mean the metrics that you're looking at are we in that 2014 like just permeable but without any stats behind it and we're just gonna have like two more years of blah or is it different this time or on-chain volume and are the metrics better? Like if you look at then versus now, are people actually using cryptocurrency? Yeah, I think we're seeing, um, you know, I, it's, it's not like hockey, like we're not in the hockey stick yeah. market. We're and I'm not like asking a, to predict anything, of course. I just more like then versus <laughs> now, you know? No, but I think that, um, you know, we're in a state today where there are like much more established marketplaces You've got stable relationships between different entities. Um, you know, you've got to go back to 2014, where the venues and the flows that were, you know, making sense at that point. You know, there were less venues, and they had stranger relationships than what we have today. And what we're seeing is sort of, you know, we can notice when sort of the North American market becomes disconnected from the Southeast Asian market. And we can see sort of when sort of those volumes are changing and, and how, how interconnected the markets are. And so you know, I, think that, I think that that's changed dramatically since, since 2014, where you know, really yeah, the flows that, that you true. were looking at were like, we're cracking Bit, Bitfinex, you know, Bitstamp, um, and Coinbase. So like th those days are, those days are over. And, you know, the days where there's you know, real trading venues, there's actual market makers that you can see moving money between different places, getting rid of price disparity, um, you know, making price discovery better on Bitcoin. That, that is something that you can notice on chain. And, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing that market really mature at a rapid rate. And I think that um, you know, that shows sort of the stability of the market. Now, I think your, your bigger question is, you know, how much do we grow from here? Um, and, and that's sort of a function of how quickly some yeah. of the, the fintechs and other companies enter. But like, the thing that I think about today is, you know, there's, there's sort of like two types of there's two types of crypto business, right? There's like a crypto business that's that sees themselves as um, you know, something that that is hardcore crypto that believes in that and and goes after like all the latest protocol changes and and all the latest developments and and experiments that are happening in crypto, which is super exciting. Then you've got like the other side of the market, which is this is our wedge to to capture the millennial wallet share and be like a leading fintech company in the world and a new brand that could be trusted by a new generation of consumer. Um, and I think that what's interesting about that movement is that it's actually kind of creating this pressure, competitive pressure in the fintech market where 
unless you're all, you, you might be like a stock trading platform. Um, you might be like someone who provides like a savings account or loans or whatever. Like, but, un, and, but unless you're actually also providing some ability to get exposure to crypto, you're, you're, you're opening up for like some competitive edge that a competitor can take against you. And so what we're seeing like, hmm. um, is that a lot of these, a lot of these, you know, consumer fintech brands that are building like wallet share are seeing maybe one of their closest competitors offer crypto. And now like they have to also offer crypto. So it's like a domino effect. The market. It's like a domino effect. And like at the end of the day, we're now in an age where like the consumer wants choice and the consumer wants yeah. to be able to, to take advantage of those things. I mean, you'll see like the PayPal Venmo type situation. I, you know, if that follows through, it's probably because of, like you said, just like pressure, Cash App and all their competitors are doing crypto. People want crypto. And now, you know, Venmo PayPal has to, has to, you know, the ability to let people buy, sell in store crypto, if that's how it's going to go down. Um, can your, but your clients are not just government agencies and like, you know, things like lawsuits or whatever, you get a lot of problem. I'm assuming like corporate clients and just individual people like me, what's like some cool, that cool, like quirky or like interesting jobs that you've had to like do for, for people or for companies like, uh, not your typical what you would think like find this transaction or whatever yeah so uh i mean the funny the funny thing is that um you know we're we're, we're really a product company so a lot of the work that our corporate and our government customers do you know we're actually not exposed to them in terms of um oh interesting you know, they use our they use our software. They don't use us. They don't use us as a service. So, yeah, I would have a million more stories for you if we were a services company. Um, but I still, um, you know, we still get some some interesting stuff. And you know, I don't I don't work the support desk anymore. But um, you know, we definitely Good. get a lot of we definitely get a lot of questions um, over the years. Um, I mean, some of the some of the crazy stories that we've had is. Um, you know, when, when clients first come to us, so an exchange client, someone who's transacting crypto. Okay. You know, they, and, and when they have never, when they've never looked at what their customers do with their cryptocurrency, the first demo that our team does for that client is just absolutely mind blowing where they say like, you know, this is someone who's been operating a business, maybe has like, you know, a few thousand clients and they have no idea why their customers are buying and selling crypto on their platform. Um, <laughs> you know, we had this exchange in, in India where you know, the largest customer on the platform that was responsible for you know, close to 50% of the volume was a darknet market vendor. Oh, and no. You can imagine that like, the person then says, like, well, I thought I was in this business of like, providing this awesome service to the Indian economy and now, like, you're telling oh, me that, no. like, half my business. And, and the cool thing okay, about so, that story is, yeah, yeah, they cleaned it up. They said, like, okay, you know, we're going to implement this solution to be able to detect this. And then we're going to be able to, like, build a much better business on the back of it. Um, what if they decide to ignore it? What if you find out something and they decide to ignore it? Do you have to report it now to the authorities? That's a great question. That I sounds mean, complicated. I think that... Yeah, that is a little bit complicated. We don't typically um, we don't typically do that. I mean, we'll take. I will say that you know there are instances where our clients tell us things about um, 
yeah, particular criminal cases or, yeah. uh, or or like risky activity that we do pass on to law enforcement. So you probably have so many NDAs and things that you've that you have to sign and just constantly. Yeah, but the like, cool, yeah I, it's true. Like you need to manage all of that. But like the really cool thing about crypto as an industry is that actually there's a lot of information sharing that does take place that people are in this, particularly our customers are in this to get rid of that bad activity and to find ways to share information that could lead to you know us getting rid of it. Like all the scams that you're talking about, like plus token and those types yes. of things. That's why I wanted Bitcoin. to talk to you today about this, because that's what people need to realize. Like you're fighting for the community. Yeah. And, and the community looks to us as like that central point where, you know, if you report something to Chainalysis and say like, you know, we've noticed on our platform that there's this pet scam and here's the address for the pet scam, you know, suddenly now like all of our client base can now benefit from that. So oh, all of the so exchanges cool. that are also being like their users are being subject to the pet scam and the law enforcement agencies that are responsible for investigating pet scams. Um, I'm not actually sure which agency in the US would re- would be responsible for that, but you know, you know that everyone can benefit by Chainalysis having that information, and so people are are willing to share that with us. You have um, two products: the you know, Chainalysis KYT uh, and Chainalysis Cryptos. Are there any other ones, or it's those two? Yeah, we have Chainalysis Reactor as well. So Reactor is our investigation product that um, people do these. Uh, link charts about how to follow how to follow the money in cryptocurrencies how do you, how do you know when you're fo- trying to follow like when you're trying to follow like uh funds that move through like a blockchain or whatever that they jump from other blockchains and then back and forth um do you ever feel like it's be like as okay so like let's just say a hundred percent you know that I have these funds and it's my address. And then you know 100% that I now send these funds to this address. As movements happen, can you say with 100% certainty that that, that you kind of know what's going on? Or like as it moves or hops from different chains and then back and forth, you kind of lose that certainty whether or not, or like people can, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is it as easy as people think it is to do anonymous and negative things on like a Bitcoin blockchain or a, another blockchain? It's it's a really tough thing to to sort of make a like a general statement on it. I think there's like some people who think that like there's like two views which are not correct. <laughs> one is not correct. There's like one is like Bitcoin's anonymous or like Bitcoin's easily anonymous or like you know that camp where it's it's very easy to stay anonymous. Like that view is not correct. Yeah. Um, the other view is is that like there's no financial privacy in Bitcoin. Like that's also not correct. Is that like actually you know to your to your question, like in order for an investigation to be done where you know we can say for certainty that you know we started at this point where you know Charlie owned this address and owns this Bitcoin and trace it somewhere else and know for sure that Charlie you know, still controls the Bitcoin, you know, there's a need to know, you know, what services were involved and they need to provide some information about, you know, what is happening in those transactions. And and that's where you can really tie together, um, you know, how people are using uh, cryptocurrencies. And so I think that 
you know, there, there is this sort of middle ground where, you know, yes, in a lot of cases, like, you withdraw Bitcoin off an exchange, you keep it on your own wallet, you keep it to yourself, like, you know, you have financial privacy. I always you say it's private, it's just not anonymous. It's just not anonymous. Yeah, it's not anonymous. It's, it's I call it the honeypot because uh, criminals think it's anonymous. So they go from whatever they were using, which had more anonymity to crypto, which has less, and then they get caught. It's like the honey trap. I don't know if you could say honey yeah. trap anymore. Is that politically correct? I think you can. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't um, know. I don't want to say anything. Well, My editors are going to cut the, it out. You might insult the bees. Um, no, the, <laughs> the idea I'm so being, worried nowadays with what I say. Um, but I think that I think that the the way to think about it is, you know, cryptocurrencies provide unique opportunities for law enforcement to build you know, better investigations and cases that, um, you know, can be brought against those scammers and, and child abuse material distributors and, and those types of things that, that we've been a part of. Um, you know, but also like cryptocurrency still provides, you know, great financial privacy for, for people and, and provides a way for people to transact anywhere in the world. And it's an amazing technology for that at, at the same time. It's like, the most, it is the most amazing technology. And, and I think, you know, like I'm going to get on stage and not give you any metrics. And this is the most amazing technology in the world. <laughs> um, that reminds but, yeah, it reminds me of seven years ago. You know, it's... But uh, the, message, the, message, the message still needs to be said, so you can say that. The message needs to be said, but we're in a different world now. I think, I think crypto is in a different world than it was seven years ago. And it's, you know, it's a stupid question to say, like, what do you, where do you think we'll be in the next seven years? But I guess, you know, like, how do you see your company and what your products and services evolving in like three years from now? What types yeah. of uh, clients and what type of services will you need to or products offer in like a a crypto world where you have multi-layered? Maybe instead of one chain, you have multi-layers, you know, like what happens if someone does lightning, Bitcoin, sidechain? Like, you know, there's all these things that can happen. It's crazy. Yeah, so so we, we obviously track a lot of that stuff. Um, you have to be on top of like this. You have to be, you have like almost like have core developers working for you just to stay on top of the code base. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you. No, no, no. I mean, you're exactly right. Like we have a, we have a really, um, you know, big research and engineering team that really has a fun job of like keeping up with all the latest protocol developments, whether those are sort of Bitcoin developments or Ethereum or, or Libra or whatever, like, you know, we've got to be really deep on the tech, which is actually also sort of different from a lot of uh, crypto companies out there. Like a lot of crypto companies are building sort of consumer applications or yeah. institutional applications, right? Like that the don't actually touch sort of like the hardcore, um, you know, tech, like interesting technology that engineers want to work on. So um, yeah, we've also got some open recs if people are listening to this and, and want to work on some of the hard and, and interesting are you tech hiring? problems that we are hiring today. Oh, um, I'm telling you that our industry has so many job opportunities. It's insane. Like our unemployment rate is probably at zero. If you want to work in crypto, you can work in crypto. Yeah. you got. Yeah. So we, um, you know, but, but where we see things going, like for me is more on the markets. And, and I think about this on sort of where our business needs to be from a, you know, um, you know, who are the clients that we're selling to in three years from now? Um, you know, we're really focused on making sure that you know, regulators, law enforcement around the world have the tools at their disposal to you know, create the environment where there can be a fair and open marketplace for crypto. Um, 
you know that that requires us scaling globally. You know, we're in you know, 20 odd countries today with with those law enforcement agencies and regulators. We need to be in more of them to ensure that they can they can create rules that allow us to to really um, grow as an industry. But but at the end of the day, those governments really put the burden on the private sector to make sure that the system is not being abused. Yeah. And so, you know, where I see this happening is, you know, financial service companies, cryptocurrency businesses are sort of the main customers for Chainalysis at, at some point where, you know, the government is really you know, making sure that the private sector is doing their job in monitoring this industry and, and taking care of that. And so, you know, eventually sort of big financial service companies need to be in this market, like we spoke about from a defensibility standpoint. And they, they eventually are sort of the bigger customers for, for risk and compliance solutions for, for chain analysis. Um, you know, I think that happens over, over the next kind of three, maybe, maybe a little three bit five longer. years or whatever. Yeah. Well, as they say, from your mouth to God's ears or the ears of the sky people, whatever you believe. Jonathan Levine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Charlie. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of BlockWorks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offord. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers and information is power.